0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, our Advent uh, theme this year is looking for Jesus. Advent, as probably most of you know, is a season of waiting and anticipation and expectation. Right? Uh, in the mall, we start celebrating Christmas after Halloween, and it just goes and goes and goes. And by the time we get to Christmas Day, we're like, okay, I never want to see a tree again of any sort. Um, In the church, we intentionally hold back on our observance of Christmas during this season because it helps us understand that Israel was waiting for their Messiah, right? longing and expecting, come thou long-expected Jesus, right? And as uh, Christian people, we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and has already come, but we'll come again and make things right in totality. And right now we're in that in-between space, that already slash not yet uh, reality, where, yes, the Messiah has come, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, that happened. The, the conquering of Satan, sin, and death is done, but there's this lingering effect of sin in the world, and the brokenness of the world continues to mystify us and hurt and all of those things. And so we wait for that final day. So in Advent, we kind of um, vicariously wait with Israel for the Messiah, and we not vicariously wait for the return of Jesus to make the world right again. Uh, and so we um, observe our world, uh, trying to see where Jesus is at work already. Because when we see Jesus at work, we want to join him in that work. Right? And so the theme is looking for Jesus during this season. And uh, as I said last week, Jesus makes this very ominous sounding statement. He says it three times in the Gospel of John that he says, I'm about to leave and when I'm gone, you will look for me and you will not find me. Have you ever had an experience of looking for Jesus in the world? Maybe somebody told you Jesus is real and, and you looked for him and you didn't find him. Maybe you believe in your heart that Jesus is real and you're looking for him and right now, today, you can't find him. That's Advent. And so we're going to be looking for Jesus in a series of ways. The first way that we talked about last week is looking for Jesus in prayer. And I gave you what I hope were some refreshing ways to think about prayer more than just asking God for stuff. Nothing wrong with that. We did it a few minutes ago. But I encourage you to practice listening prayer, silence. I encourage you to pray with the scriptures. I encourage you even to sing as you pray. All those things can kind of dislodge the the logjam in our souls. And I wonder how many of you took a chance this past week and tried to observe silent prayer. Did anybody do like a, a minute of listening prayer or tried to do a minute? Did you find, as I have always found, that that minute takes a lot longer than you thought it was going to? And that your mind wanders a lot more quickly than you thought it would. Um, it can be work to do that. But please continue to try those things throughout the season of Advent. Expand your understanding of prayer because that will help you expand your understanding of who God is. Uh, and this week, we are going to talk about looking for Jesus in discernment. Discerning Jesus. And I'll explain what that means in a few minutes. Next week, we look ahead uh, to next week and, and we'll be talking about looking for Jesus in confession. Confession. And then to round out the holiday schedule, I'll remind you that we have a Christmas Eve service, one service at 4 p.m. right here in this room. Um, And that will be our official Christmas service. Even though Christmas Day is a Sunday, we don't have a f- an official service on Sunday morning. However, I did get some emails this week, uh, and uh, after my thing last week, and there's at least a couple of families, two or three families already, who have said they would like to do something informal here on Christmas Day, so probably something around 11, which is our, the time of our second service. Um, something will happen here, and uh, we'll put out more details as it gets closer. But if you want to be part of making that happen, go ahead and email me, scott at artisanchurch.com, and I'll get you connected with the right people so that you can be part of it. Uh, But that's coming up Christmas Day. Today I want to talk about discernment, looking for Jesus in discernment, discerning Jesus. Now, defined generically, discernment simply means the ability to judge well. Right. And that can be applied to a lot of different things. Um, a referee needs to have discernment. Right? And your favorite sports team never seems to get the referees who can discern whether the, you know, the, the ball was inbounds or out of bounds or the player uh, did their thing legally or illegally and we always get hosed by the referees because they don't have good discernment. Right? That's a generic understanding of the word, but I want to talk about, obviously, spiritual discernment this morning. Um, in our Christian contents context we think of discernment as a spiritual exercise in recognizing where and how god is at work in the world discernment is a spiritual exercise in recognizing where and how god is at work in the world and in advent we are looking for jesus and sometimes it can be hard to discern which is to say hard to judge hard to know for sure whether something we see is jesus or not is this the messiah at work, or is it something else? And you say, yes, that's obviously going to be true because we're 2,000 years removed and thousands of miles removed from the time and place when Jesus the Messiah was actually on earth. And yes, that's true. That makes our spiritual discernment harder. But don't feel too bad because even the followers who were following Jesus all over, in his time and in his place, had difficulty discerning whether he was the Messiah, who he was, and what he was about. There's a story in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, where we see this kind of confusion. Um, It says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, here he's appropriating an, an apocalyptic messianic title from the book of Daniel on himself. But he's asking them, Who do people say that I am? Right? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So, lots of confusion. Uh, John the Baptist was a contemporary of Jesus around the same time. Some people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. Some people were saying that he was um, a, a figure from Israel's history, from their past, who had been uh, reborn or reincarnated or reappeared or re-something and was walking around among them again. There was not consensus on who Jesus was. And so he asked his closest disciples the most important question in the world. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not, received this, has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So remember discerning Jesus is a spiritual exercise. Christian discernment is more than just good judgment about religious stuff. Christian discernment requires God to reveal something to us. And we might say, with the benefit of uh, knowing the whole Christian story a little bit more, that discernment is a gift that we receive from the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we talk about gifts of God, the grace that is offered, and Neglect to remember that we have a responsibility to receive that gift or that grace actively. Right? Think of it this way: Imagine that you are hiking in the jungle, and you are um, hot and dehydrated, and you're getting close to a medical emergency, and you need water, and you need to be cooled very, very badly, and you see a waterfall. And that waterfall is cascading water over thousands of gallons a second. And it could cool your body and literally save your life. Only a fool would say, Ha! I made a great waterfall to cool myself off. Because the waterfall, you have nothing to do with the waterfall. (laughs) But only a fool would stand at a distance and say, Thank God for this waterfall and never step under to receive the gift. It's like that with spiritual gifts, it's like that with the sacraments, it's like that with the grace that God offers to us. It's a waterfall that you cannot control, you had nothing to do with, and it's given to you gratis. But if you don't step under it, it's not going to do you any good. Okay. So how do we put ourselves under the waterfall? How do we receive the gift of discernment from God? Well, uh, I'm going to propose a, a, a formula for you, for us, now... I am not in any way trying to say that this is a comprehensive understanding of spiritual discernment. This is not the only thing that would ever lead you to have better discernment. But I'm going to offer a a system that might work for us. Okay, here it is. To discern Jesus, we read scripture in community with the church so that we will keep his commandments. We're going to read scripture in community with the church so that we will keep his commandments. Now, if that doesn't seem to add up to discernment to you, let me explain what I mean, and hopefully you'll come with me along on this little journey here. All right. Here's what I believe about the Bible. I believe that Scripture's job is to point us to Jesus, that what the Scriptures do infallibly is point us to Jesus, God's true and final word that the Bible is God's primary way of revealing Jesus to us in our time. Now, if you want to know God, look to Jesus. Have I made that point fairly clear over the last couple of years? It's like the only thing, It feels like the only thing I ever preach these days, and I am perfectly happy with it. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. Now, if you want to know Jesus, look first to the Scriptures. Here's why. If we, be, if we come to know Scripture more deeply... Uh, then we will know God's story more completely and we will know where we are likely to see Jesus because we are going to assume that Jesus continues to act consistent with the way he acted as told in the stories in Scripture. Does that make sense? So if we become more familiar with Scripture, if we deepen our understanding of Scripture, we will know, for example, that Jesus is often to be found interacting with undignified Unsavory people. If you read the Bible, you'll come across the story of Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman at midday. Now, you don't need to know all the cultural context, but just know that that's two strikes Samaritan woman. If you read scripture and deepen your understanding of its story, you will come across occasions where Jesus meets with tax collectors. Zacchaeus up in the tree is the most famous one, but there are others. Now, these were not just the, this is not just the tax man, right? It's not a Beatles song. It's not like, oh, I wish I had more money and the government takes some of it and, uh, you know, don't tread on me, right? This is a, ostensibly a good Jew who's working on behalf of the evil empire, the Roman occupiers to go around to other Jews and collect their money and give their money to the Roman Empire. And if that weren't bad enough, they'd take a little bit off the top and buy a Ferrari, right? That's what the tax collectors were. And those were the people Jesus hung out with. It's not like he was just hanging out with, like, uh, a bully and, like, you know... Let's rap, man. Let's, let's talk about how you can love yourself more so you can love others. That's a very Jesus thing to do, sure. But he was hanging out with people who were literally stealing from God's people on behalf of a pagan entity. Right? Do you see why that was a problem for the, for the faithful Jews around them? If you read the story of Scripture, you'll see that those are not the only unsavory people Jesus hangs out with. Um, Jesus apparently hung out with drunkards so much that a lot of people thought he was one. I grew up in a church where you were told things... Basically, you were told, uh, if you want to be a good Christian, you better stay out of the bars. That's not apparently how Jesus lived his life. right? So this is is what happens. When you deepen your understanding of Scripture, you begin to see the kind of people that Jesus hangs out with, and you think, oh, I, I wonder who Jesus would hang out with now. Would it be all the nice, happy people in church? Well... If you read the scriptures and become deepen deep your understanding of them, you will see that, yes, Jesus spent a lot of time in church. Of course, for him, it was the Jewish temple, right? He even turned up in church when he was lost as a child. Do you know this story? Right? He was actually a tween. Is that the, is that the right word? He was 12. Um, and the, the family had come to Jerusalem to observe a festival, and then the whole family, big caravan of people, went back. To their home and all, somewhere along the way they realized Jesus isn't here. Now you think, how could, you, how could a parent do that, right? But it was a big caravan of people and maybe he was just walking with the cool cousins and some, or they, they just assumed that he was somewhere in the party. They realized he wasn't. They went back to Jerusalem and where did they find him? He was in the temple. And he asks them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I'd have to be in my father's house? So even from a young age, Jesus was spending time in church. But if you know the story of Scripture, if you deepen your understanding of what's actually in the Bible, you will realize that very rarely in church is Jesus doing the types of things that makes churchgoers happy. (laughs) It was in the temple where he uh, read from that scroll and declared to the people that God had anointed him to bring good news to the poor, and where he reminded the people of the fact that in their own stories, God had seen fit to bless not, a, not an Israelite widow, but a Sidonian widow, that's a Gentile. And where he had chosen um, at one point not to heal a leper from Israel, but a Syrian leper. That, that we'll preach today, Right? He said that in church. And they got so mad at him that they drove him out of the temple and out to the edge of town and they wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But he went all like David Blaine on them and disappeared. (laughs) It was in the temple, it was at church where Jesus cracked his whip and dispersed the sacrificial animals and threw the money changers out who are using the laws about worshiping the one true god to exploit poor people from out of town right do you know that that's what that story is about jesus went in there and turned those tables over because they were ex- exploiting poor people right so there's all these laws about how you offer your sacrifice and if you're, if you're rich, you have to bring a big animal. And if you're poor, you have to bring a little animal. And if you're in the between, you bring an in-between animal. But you come from far away, you can't bring an animal that far and like, feed it and care for it and all that stuff along the whole way. So when you get there, you have to buy your own animal. But you can't buy the animal with Roman money, not with that pagan coin. Of course not. You have to use the Jewish temple coin. And we have provided for you as a service... Um, a money exchange so that you can have good uh, religiously sanctioned coins with which to buy your animals. Um, We have a slight markup on them, but, you know, for convenience. And we're going to take some off the top on the exchange fee because that's how banks work. And, of course, you understand. And Jesus went in there and flipped the whole thing over because this was a way for religious authorities to bleed money out of poor people who were, after all, only seeking to worship God. That's the kind of thing Jesus did when he was in church. It was in church. It was at the temple where he told the people, hey, look around at this building. Someday soon, not one brick will be left on top of another. Warning them that they had placed their religious and physical security in the wrong thing, in an object, in a building, rather than in in God himself. So yes, yes, You read the Bible, you deepen your understanding of scriptures, you'll find Jesus in church. But he's not making churchgoers happy while he's there. And it makes me wonder, if Jesus were in our church, what would he be doing that makes us angry, that makes us want to kick him out? What would he be showing us about ourselves that we need to change and repent of? Now, here's the other thing that you notice about Jesus when you start to read the scriptures and deepen your understanding of the Bible. You notice some places where Jesus is not. There's a lot of places religious people go nowadays, and we see no evidence of Jesus going to those places in the Bible. The most obvious example in my mind is that you don't see Jesus hobnobbing with politically powerful people. How many religious leaders have you seen over the last 18 months hobnobbing with politically powerful people, right? The only time Jesus went into the office of a political official was when he was on trial for his life and the judge ruled against him. So don't follow religious people into the political world. Don't go seeking power in the parties of politics. The other place that we don't see Jesus is in those mobs that form, that go and try to condemn sinners. Most famously, if you read the Bible long enough, you'll come across John chapter 8, where there's a story of a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they catch her and they drag her before Jesus, and they're trying to get him to pronounce the sentence on her which according to the strict interpretation of the Jewish law would have correctly been death by stoning. And rather than join that angry mob and condemning this sinner, he stepped in between the mob and the sinner. And he drove them all away. And he looked down at her and said, doesn't anybody condemn you? Where do they all go? And she says, there's nobody left to condemn me. And he says, neither do I condemn you. right all you Bible nerds who are about to say, and then he said he told her not to sin anymore. Yes, fair enough, he did. And anytime you want to tell somebody not to sin anymore, you are permitted to do so after you have driven away all the other religious people who are condemning them. And after you have told them that you don't condemn them, then you can say, go and sin no more. You have my permission to act like Jesus in that case. So, do you see how reading Scripture becoming more... bathed in its story, absorbing yourself in the story of Scripture, will tell you, will give you clues about where to look to find Jesus at work in the world today. Because once again, I believe Jesus is going to work consistently with how he worked in the stories of Scripture in our own world. So the first part, and that's the longest one, I promise, is we read Scripture. right? But we don't do it alone. We read Scripture in community with the church John Wesley said no one can be a Christian alone. Right? A lot of us think we can, but we can't. Now, I'm not saying you have to come and join this church and be a member or you're not part of the real thing or any of that garbage. I'm not interested in any of that territorialism. I'm not interested in those boundary walls or any of it. What I am telling you is that you ought not read scripture on your own. You ought to do it in community with other people. And I would love it if you read scripture in community with artists in church. Um, but it's not the only place in town, right? Um, and it you you doesn't have to be in this room. You can do this in your living room with somebody. The reason we read Scripture in community with other people is because it, it, it amplifies and multiplies our discernment, right? If I read Scripture and I think, I see Jesus doing this thing. I think that means Jesus is doing that in the world today. And someone else reads it and goes, I'm not sure you read that right. You didn't look at the context or that application doesn't make any sense. Do you see how that kind of conversation can sharpen our discernment together, right? And you can't just read Scripture um, in community with one local church in one period of time. We have the great benefit, the great gift of an entire history of Christianity during which time people have been reading and interpreting and applying Scripture to their world day in and day out. Right? What fools we would be to neglect, to look at the historical interpretation of the text, right? That's why roots is one of Artisan's foundational values because we have this beautiful history which we can uh, rely on for uh, sharpening our discernment when we read scripture and try to apply it to the world around us. Doing, uh, reading scripture in community with each other sharpens our, uh, our discernment, but it also provides a little bit of an accountability and sort of a mutualized authority in each other's lives. And that's an important thing to have. Now, churches often abuse spiritual authority. And if you hear me say that word and it's like, please know that uh, I understand that and I regret that that kind of thing has happened to you. There's lots of people in the room who have experienced spiritual abuse uh, at the hands of a pastor or in their church or, God forbid, in their families. And that kind of thing uh, is abhorrent to me it does not mean that there's, no, that there's never any occasion when we ought to speak authoritatively into each other's lives, um, particularly as it concerns applying the Scriptures. It just needs to be done in a loving and transparent context. Okay. And uh, this kind of community experience applies to prayer as well. We talked about prayer last week and listening prayer. And remember I said how you, you start quieting your mouth and your mind and you never know what's going to come into your mind and that's a little terrifying, right? Um. Debriefing that experience with somebody else can help prevent you from going off the rails. Right. So, We read Scripture, but we read it in community with the church, both past and present. And the reason we do it is so that we will keep His commandments. That's the third part of the formula. That may be the weirdest-sounding one to you, the one that makes you raise your eyebrows the most. And let me explain to you why I say it by reading to you from John 14. Now, John 14 is just one chapter after the third instance of Jesus warning the disciples, you're going to look for me and not be able to find me. Remember that? We're looking for Jesus because he's hard to find. That's what he told his disciples before he left. One chapter later, he says this. And and track with this the whole way. You have to listen to the whole thing. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Jesus is saying that the key to God revealing himself to us is keeping his commandments How do we know which commandments he gave so that we can keep them? We read scripture. In what context do we read scripture? We read scripture in community with the church, past and present. Why do we do that? So that we can keep his commandments. Why do we keep his commandments? So that he will be revealed to us. And we can see him at work in our world and join him in that work. You see how the formula works. We read scripture so that we know the story, so that we can see the commandments that he gave. We read it in community with each other so that our discernment can be sharpened and focused. And that when we come to that understanding, we can keep his commandments so that he will reveal himself to us. That's the gift. May it be true for all of us this Advent season. And I would absolutely encourage you, if you haven't been reading the Bible, to read it. And you can start with the Gospels, about two-thirds of the way, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the stories of Jesus. But as you begin to deepen your understanding of Scripture, you will begin to see Jesus on every page, from the beginning to the end. And I'd encourage you to do it in community with each other. We don't have any special uh, targeted Bible study happening during Advent, but you can do this with friends and family. Read the Gospels, see what they say, talk about it, and ask the question, where do I see Jesus at work in the world like this that we just read now? Now, let me give you one bonus thing. The last place that I would suggest that you can see Jesus in the world today is at his table. We celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion every week when we worship God together in this place. And, um, you know, there's this story after Jesus is resurrected. He comes back and he, he encounters some of his disciples on the road. And they don't recognize him. They don't even know who he is. Something has changed. His body His appearance, their ability to discern, I don't know. Something is weird and they don't know who he is. But they walk with him and they invite them into their house and they have dinner together. And it's when Jesus picks up the bread and breaks it that they suddenly realize who they're having dinner with. It says he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. If you want Jesus to reveal himself to you, come to his table and receive the meal that he offers. Let me invite you with these beautiful words from the Iona invitation. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you, It is our Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. And so our table is open to all who seek to follow him and to know him, regardless of religious affiliation or lack thereof. Let's continue to worship God this morning. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.